these people all sound like Patty Peterson to me. It's like the Charlie Brown adult <laughs> voice, but it's just Patty Peterson being like, oh, oh. I think the whole art world is a con. Fight me. I just think it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Oh my God, I cannot wait to talk about this week's episode. But before we get there, oh my God, I'm so obsessed. I'm so obsessed. <laughs> but before we get there, I just want to remind everybody if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 250 full ad free bonus episodes to download and binge right this second. What are we doing now? Well, we just wrapped up John Wayne Gacy on Peacock. We're in the middle yes. of Sophie, a murder in West Cork on Netflix. You guys got to hear our Gacy coverage. I knew nothing about it. I love the documentary. I was totally charmed by Gacy. Were I a little twink in Chicago in like 19? 78. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I would have been safe around that guy. I'm still shocked you didn't end up under his house, honestly. I know. <laughs> but you can also find Tiger King in the first season of Serial, Making a Murderer, The Jinx, Lorena. The Vow, Night Stalker, Heaven's Gate. So many things. I just, what else? Oh, uh, Murder Among the Mormons. Yes. This is a robbery. Speaking of art stuff. Oh my God. And you guys, the Sophie, a murder in West Cork is bananas. Like we're it's recording bananas. our first episode today. I have already so much to say, girl. My Irish accent is half, half okay. of me, half my <laughs> ancestors are like, what are you doing? <laughs> All right, girl, what are we talking about today? I'm so excited. Oh my God. <laughs> Look at her. We I'm are so excited. You I just know. went into like territory. You got a little evil laugh. We are talking about Made You Look, a true story about fake art. You guys, I don't know why. Maybe it's like a lifetime of being poor. I just like love this fancy art shit so much. I'm so obsessed with it. It's so pretentious and gatekeepy. It makes me crazy. It makes me insane. Like I have feelings. I've in my notes at least four times. Oh, Jillian's not going to like that. I just don't care. Like I just. It's yep. so ridiculous. And uh, I have my sights set on someone. Her name is Anne Friedman. Okay. <laughs> Not a fan of Anne. Not a fan of Anne. An $80 million scandal has the art world up in arms tonight. A series of fakes that sold for tens of millions of dollars. The gallery involved in the sale of over 30 fakes. It takes more than a really talented con man to pull off a forgery of this magnitude. Anne Friedman was the director of Nodler Gallery. She had such a prominent reputation. Nodler is one of the oldest art galleries in the country. Glafira Rosales wrought approximately a dozen different works to Nodler Gallery. She comes in off the street with supposed masterpieces in the trunk of her car. Motherwell. Jackson Pollock. Rothkast. All of them from this same mysterious wealthy collector, Mr. X, who was from the Philippines. This collector was a Swiss collector. He didn't want his name to be disclosed. Uh, oh, yes, it had changed from the Philippines to Switzerland. You couldn't make this stuff up. It was incredible. An absolutely bizarre story for any dealer to accept. It's a business. These works went into the greatest museums in the world. But there was a point where questions were coming up. The analysts found that a yellow paint used in the Pollock hadn't been available until 1970. Jackson Pollock died in a car crash in 1956. Either the paintings are all real or they're all fake. So the first thing we see, you guys, is on screen text. It says, this is a true story about fake art. And then it says, names have not been changed to protect the innocent. 
period, as some are not that innocent. And I just wrote, why do I love this so much? Why am I so obsessed? Was that for us? Is that a little Britney shout out for us? Is that what that was? Okay, good. Whoever made this documentary, I love it. I love it. So much of it was really taught. Some of the cuts and the edits, the quotes they use, some of them are just, it's really like just perfect fodder for what we do here. (laughs) There's just so much shade in the game. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. So we're talking, this Anne Friedman person, right? She's like, no one wants to be fooled. People are fooled by art much more than we know. Girl, I'm so sorry to take this badge from you, but I've never seen someone make things more about themselves than Ad fucking Freeman. More than you, which is saying- More than me? More than Sarah Edmondson from The Vow? More than the two of you. Today, yes, because Anne is- uh, uh. Can I just say one thing about Anne Friedman? I know we don't comment on looks, but when the first time we watched this, Steve and I were hammered, and Steve just goes, she looks like a human Q-tip. And she- (laughs) The hair. It's the hair. She's just like older, regal lady, and she's got this white, curly, beautiful hair. I mean, like she's got the thickest head of hair. I am nothing if not jealous of the amount of hair that she has but mm-hmm. she does kind of look like a human q-tip that's all it's a hairdo it's yeah. like a definition of a hairdo do you think she's getting perms like do you think she's still getting her hair permed or do you think that's natural um i think there's a little of both going okay. on i don't i don't really believe anything that comes out of her mouth at this point so you hate ann friedman oh my well, god we get a lot of headlines here where she's like i'm the central victim and then that's my we- first note of oh jillian's not gonna like that you guys we're talking about an 80 million dollar art fraud an 80 million dollar art fraud Every penny of which went through this woman. She facilitated every penny of that $80 million. And this headline is a quote from her, I am the central victim. Oh my God. And I also really don't care about all the rich people who dropped eight mil on a painting. But I know, I know. There's this guy we meet, M.H. Miller from oh, the New York oh, Times. She is over it. She gives the finger at some point. I'm obsessed Coming with this guy. in scalding hot. With, referring to Anne. Either she was complicit in it or she was one of the stupidest people to have ever worked at an art gallery. And if you think that's the only time he calls her stupid, you have another thing coming. (laughs) I just wrote, oh shit, I don't know. Then Anne, of course, comes back and says, I did not knowingly sell fakes. I was convinced that they were right and real and believable. I was convinced. I get mad at her a lot because like she's where the buck stops with a lot of this authentication stuff but at the same time like she does her due diligence and I think everyone involved wanted this shit to be real it benefited everybody top to bottom yeah and then we get these opening credits and I'm like I'm sorry what is this sexy AF song you got a cold cold heart do you feel it all you oh my god I know, I know this song I know. is Super sexy. I'm like, I gotta put that. Jillian, art is sexy. I don't know if you know or not, but artist art is sexy. The song certainly is sexy, and music <laughs> is art. So, the song's the only real thing in this document. Oh my god, I I need to like die and come back. Somebody super rich, so I can pedal in this bullshit world of art. I'm so into it. And I, I told you before we started. Every time we cover an art forgery, all I want to do is buy the forgeries. I got online right. today and tried to buy as many any of these paintings that I could find. Can't find any of them. Yeah, you're like, I don't want a real Pollock. I I want a fake one. I totally want the forged Pollock. I'm I'm so into it. There's one thing that we see here where I have in my notes, I want that on my wall. And I'm going to tell you what it is 
when we get there. Oh my god, I can't wait. Oh my god, oh my god. Okay. So now we learn about the Nodler Gallery. Mm-hmm. We learn it's this art gallery that was an old school institution, but at the start of this documentary, the Nodler Gallery is closing. We don't really know why. And we get a reporter. $80 million scandal that has the art world up in arms tonight and collectors checking their most prized possessions. The art world is up in arms tonight as we learn about this $80 million scam. I just love up in arms. Like, they're so pretentious. Yes. Of course, they're like, my word. I'm like, oh my God, please. They're all Patty Peterson. Every last one of them. Wah, 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 but it's just Patty Peterson. And we learn about the fraud and we, and we will learn that it's the fraud that is the reason the Nodler Gallery is closing, but we're told this is the largest art fraud in the history of the United States. The accused forger created lookalikes of some of America's most prominent artists, and this went on for 20 years. And then they're just like, people have these pieces of art that they think are worth millions. They paid millions for them, and they're actually worth zero. Oh my god! Zero. We see this one clip of this lady who we'll come back to later. She's like one of the buyers that got bamboozled here, mm-hmm. and she goes, I have the opportunity to buy a Rothko? Lady. Good for you. And if you are ever presented with the opportunity to buy a Rothko, you should ask 700 million questions. This is why we're here. I know. So one of the things we learned about the Nodler is that, you know, it kept up with all the times and trends. Yeah. And someone's like... Ironically, the only era that they kind of missed was abstract expressionism uh, in the early 50s, which would turn out, of course, to be the era that they were brought down by. And their best Patty Peterson impression, they're like, which would turn out, of course, to be the era that they were brought down by. It's like, it's just art. I know. But this gallery had been open for 165 years. Like, this gallery was an institution. And around the 1970s, a guy named Armand Hammer buys the gallery. I guess we're supposed to know who that is. I'm like, are you related to Army Hammer, who's problematic in his own way? Or Arm... And Arm hammer. and hammer. <laughs> That's what I was like. Is that where that? Guy? Anyway, his grandson Michael Hammer acquired the ownership interest of the gallery in 2001. So during the time that all of this is happening, Michael Hammer is like in charge of the gallery. He's Anne Friedman's boss. Right. So then we get on-screen text because this is broken up into sections. And yeah. the first on-screen text is the con begins. We're in New York City, 1995. So Michael is like the owner of the gallery. Anne is like the head salesperson or whatever, whatever you call her. Sure. So she's telling us Jimmy. Andrade, he was kind of your guy Friday. You know, he just did a lot of things that came up. Trusted, terribly trusted. He told me that he had a friend, a very special friend, who wanted to show me a Rothko. He was terribly trusted. I trusted him. Just... Till the cows came home. And so Jimmy's like, hey, Anne, I have a special friend who has a Rothko. And this friend is named Glafira Rosales, and she is a self-described art dealer. And so this guy, M.H. Miller from the New York Times, is like, who the hell is Glafira? There was no reason to trust Glafira Rosales. Nobody knew who this person was. She didn't have a great pedigree. She was just some lady from Long Island who came to the gallery one day. She was some lady from Long Island. And I have in my notes, I guess my favorite thing about the art world, if I had to pick one, is the fucking gatekeeping. Like, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like we'll learn Glafira is uh, is part of all this, but, like, everyone has to start somewhere. So, yeah. like, the term great pedigree? Like, I what know. are you talking about? I, I agree, and I literally have this note, MH from the Times has fucking had it. Like, he's uh. he's had it. But the thing about this Glafira woman and where I agree with this guy, MH, is that she brings this Rothko in. She's got it in the fucking trunk of her car. It's wrapped in cardboard. Right. This guy, MH, and I both are like, there were red flags everywhere. Like he said, either you're too dumb to see the red flags or you just mm-hmm. needed all of this to be true. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, we also learned about Glafira that, like, she was a good con artist. Rosales was the perfect 
part for this. Said the right amount of information, not too much, not too little, just enough to make Anne interested and to keep the relationship going. We're going to learn that Anne was at kind of a precarious place in her career. She needed found treasure like this. Like she needed something that would put her and the gallery kind of back on the map. Right. And then here comes Glafira and opens the trunk of her car and here's a Rothko and Anne's like, yeah, that'll work. Let's do that. And so like Anne describes seeing the Rothko for the first time and she's like, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. If one can fall in love with something material, I do fall in love with art. I know it's not human, so, you know, there's a, there's a limit. But I got genuinely excited about these works of art. I just fall in love with it. She's like, I know they're not human, so there's a limit. The look on Julian's face. And <laughs> Is this like those people who fall in love with the Eiffel Tower? Is it like that? It's My Strange Addiction or whatever totally. that show is. <laughs> there's Anne just like caressing the Rothko. Like, just, <laughs> it's mean, our anniversary, so we went to dinner bringing the Rothko to the restaurant. I mean, I will just say, like, I wrote this here. I'm like, it's just a blue square and a red square on a yellow background, but somehow I'm in love with it too. Like, there is something magical about these paintings. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I think I agree, but my whole thing is like this is all about the designer label. It, you know, yes. it's about the name. It's not that the art speaks to you. It's that it has been told to you for decades that this is worth millions and yeah. now it's beautiful. Yeah. There are things I've seen street art that speaks to me more yeah. than some of the things that are priceless or whatever. So like if it took your breath away, then it took your breath away and yeah. it shouldn't matter whose name is signed or forged or whatever. Also like street art in New York is like $7,000. Uh-huh. And when you're us, what is the difference between $7,000 and $8 million? You know what I mean? Like, it's the same unattainable thing. Exactly, exactly. And it's all amazing, but it's like, if you're charging $7,000 for it, you may as well be charging $8 million but, for but it. But I'm talking about, I could go to the Union Square Christmas market or whatever right. that they have, and this like <laughs> cool local artist is selling something for 40 bucks. Like, that'll speak to me more than- I challenge you to find an actual like cool piece of art at the Union Square Christmas market. <laughs> I have! <laughs> I have, and it's framed. <laughs> okay, great. Then I trust you. I, I'm i just saying, like, there's also a lot of crap out there, too. 1,000%. But my point is, like, you know that Louis, if you have a Louis Vuitton, I'm, you're going to hate me, but, like, that <laughs> Louis Vuitton pattern, uh-huh. I think is ugly. You buy it because of what it means, because it's a Louis Vuitton bag. If you worked your ass off and yeah. what you want to spend your money on is that Louis Vuitton bag, girl, go forth and yeah. buy it and flaunt <laughs> it. And if you think it's beautiful, fine. But I think right. most people look at that fabric. Uh-huh. They're not like, oh, that pattern, that brown on brown is so gorgeous. It goes with everything. Like you're buying it because it's Louis Vuitton. It's like the yeah. Hermes bag. No one actually want, thinks it's it's an ugly ass bag. You want it so that people are like, oh, she was on the waiting list. Oh, they dropped eight grand for it. That's why. It's, it's not because you love it. It doesn't speak to you. Oh my God. Thank you for coming to my fucking TED Talk. Girl, I had no idea you had such bag rage, but I'm glad to know. I just don't like the gatekeeping. Let people, like, I don't get it. I don't get it. In a world full of Patty Petersons, be someone else. Oh my God. <laughs> so Anne is saying like, look, I'm no dummy. It was normal for me to ask a lot of questions. She asks two. Who's the owner? Where did it come from? And Rosales is just sort of like. She made it very clear that she had a confidentiality. Owner's name was not to be revealed. His name is not to be revealed. Take it or leave it. Do you want this Rothko for my trunk? Do you want my trunk Rothko or not, Anne? <laughs> trunk Rothko or not? Yeah, Anne's like weighing it. And she's like, well, my career's about to. Yeah, no, no, no I'll take it. Yeah, 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 I'll yeah, take yeah. your trunk Rothko. Oh, and you, you didn't answer any of my questions? 
it doesn't matter. Just bring it right, right in the back, right in the, that way. Great. There are all these stories about where this Rothko comes from, and the stories keep changing. So here's the they first get one. gayer and gayer as we go. But let's get story number one. Let's get story number one. Story one centered on this Mr. X, very well-to-do family. They came over from Europe. They went to Mexico. Not unusual after the wartime. He and his wife had come to New York. They had bought paintings through a guy named Alphonse Osorio. They apparently did this like in the 1950s when all of these artists were just sort of like percolating to fame. And this guy, Alfonso Osorio, he's a real guy. He lived in Long Island. He was a patron of Jackson Pollock. He actually knew these people in the abstract expressionist world. So like, this is what they're saying about Glafira. She's got like a one nugget of truth and that's all Anne needs to grab onto right. and be like, oh my God, this all must be real. So this Alfonso guy connects Mr. X to Jackson Pollock himself. Exactly. So back in the 50s, exactly. Right. And so this, this rich guy, Mr. X, brings the painting back to Mexico, and we're told... Takes all these paintings back to Mexico and puts them hermetically sealed in the basement. Hermetically seals them in the basement. Yep. And then, like, eventually he dies or gives them to his son, Mr. X Jr., who now, modern day, wants to sell them for, quote, cheap, which is really, like, a million dollars per, even though they're worth, like, nine million dollars each. He wants right. to sell them because he doesn't care about art and he just wants the money. So this Mr. X Jr. is apparently Glafira's contact. That's where she's getting all these paintings from. And also, this Mr. X Jr. wants to sell them on the cheap because he doesn't really care about the money. And so this right. guy, Jack Flam, who is with us throughout. This guy, oh my God. got a lot to say. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to exactly who he is later, but he's like... And his son now wants to sell them at cheap prices because his son doesn't care about money. As if rich people don't care about money. My experience is that rich people care about money even more than poor people. Rich people care more about money than anyone. So exactly. that's one of the major red flags he hears of the story. He's like, wait, you're just like giving Jackson Pollock's away? Like, what's going on here? It's probably not true. You know what is true, though? They start using the expression ab-X to refer okay. to abstract impressionist paintings. Ab-X. Ab-X. <laughs> All right, I get it. Oh, my God. So the market for ab X art, which is abstract expressionism, everybody. In the year 2000, was out of control. Everyone wanted it. Money was through the roof. Like, these paintings were being sold for 10 times more than before, which means, you guys, we're talking, like, $65 million per painting. And they're saying that these uh, these artists were the first and kind of only group of American painters to ever become famous. These are names you know. Jackson Pollock, Mark Rothko, Marnette Newman, Lee Krausner, Motherwell de Kooning. Like, even if you don't, if you couldn't pick their paintings out, you've heard those names. And they're, they're all like the artists from the 50s who's like if you can get an original now they're in the tens of millions of dollars well cut to M.H. Miller from the New York Times going on and on and on and <laughs> on about how obviously fake they are and then he's like they have no known provenance they have no real paperwork provenance is the key to it here you know you, you need to know where that painting came from paperwork they have no provenance and i'm like oh god here we go another term lay it on me mh i'm so fascinated by this what provenance is it's a history of ownership and they're saying ideally you you'd be able to trace the painting from its current owner back to the studio and all of that right. is done through paperwork it's super important it's the only way to really authenticate a piece of art like that and in the 
this world at this level with these ABEX artists, yeah. this happens. It's not rare to be able to trace it. So that's why M.H. Miller is telling us about this because there's no information on any of the paintings that Anne had. Because the point is, these paintings don't exist anywhere in these artists' history. And Glafir is like, no, these are like paintings that were bought up quickly so no one ever knew they existed. And Mr. X's sister had some of the paperwork, but I think it was mostly destroyed. And again, it's probably really a Rothko. Do you want my trunk Rothko or not? Take it or leave it, Anne. And like in the moment, Anne's like, fuck, if I don't take this, somebody else is going to, so I'm going to take it. Right. And Anne here today is still justifying it being like, there was mystery, but there's often mystery in provenance. You know what? There's always a little mystery involved. This is the art world, you peasant. And I'm like, Anne? Please. And you know, the other thing too is that she's like, I believed what I was told. And like, she's saying that as a mark of like, I'm not involved in this. I'm not at oh fault. God. I believed what I was told. And I was like, Anne, that's the problem. Yes. You're the one who was supposed to do the due diligence. And that's where I got really mad. But you guys, it turns out she does do due diligence. We'll get there in a minute. But we also learn about this thing called the Catalog Resume, which is like mm-hmm. a published book of any particular artist's body of work. It has every painting attributed to Jackson Pollock is in his Catalog Resume. And all of these paintings that are coming from Glycera, none of them are in any of the artists' catalog resonates. So it's another big red fucking flag. And everyone is saying, like, we do accept that there are some things that are left out that, like, the publisher didn't know of at the time. And that's another thing that Anne is using to be like, well, maybe this is just one of those examples of the paintings that the people who put these catalogs resonate together didn't know about. But it's like, Anne, if you take that with all of the other 30 things, the lack of paper, right. there's no images of it. No one else has ever seen or heard of these paintings before. Like, there's 80 red flags. Like, if you knew the guy's name and you had a couple pieces of paperwork but it wasn't in the catalog yeah all right i'd be able to have a conversation but you don't have a name there's not a shred of paperwork it's not in the catalog they, it, it just came from a trunk of someone's honda civic you're like yeah. Anne. <laughs> it's a trunk pollock you want my trunk it's pollock a- or not jillian <laughs> oh wait no i'm stre- i'm in the market for a trunk rothko what do you got back there <laughs> you know what you're in luck can you move those old shopping bags out of the way and that thing that you use to get the the snow off your windshield right under that is the rothko can you imagine like you go to the grocery store and you put like your groceries on top of your trunk pollock and all of a sudden there's like yeah. salsa spilled and there's like a receipt stuck to it now you're like oh god oh a coupon <laughs> but this is where we learn that Anne really does like go to the expert and it happened that the expert David Amfam was in town from London and I showed it to him he had an immediate take which I knew he would have which is it's beautiful it's a Rothko and this guy that she hired, he'd been hired by the National Gallery. He'd been hired by the Rothko family to authenticate other Rothkos. And he's saying, yeah, this is good. Like, I mean, isn't that good enough? No. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. You're, you're talking about her due diligence. And I'm like, did we watch the same thing? No, there's more. There's totally more. We'll get we'll get to it later. Because eventually, the fucking National Gallery calls her and is like, hey, those Rothkos that you have, we're including them in our new catalog resume. We just wanted to let you know, we've independently authenticated them as as like original Rothko's. And that's a turning point for Anne, I think, because that's when she's like, I could just do this. Like they're, I can just do it. I just, we'll get there eventually. I don't think Anne was ever like, I know these are fakes and I know I'm selling fakes. I think that she was like, they look good to me and they look good to that guy and they look good to that guy. And 
everyone's kind of winking at each other yeah. like, oh, but Anne's the one to take the fall because she's the face of this whole thing. So she should have known better. She should have you know known what I mean? better. So then we get another like on-screen text. It's the art of the con. They're talking about how good con artists are. And they're all of this is about Glafira. They're calling Glafira a con artist. You know, Glafira was like on the scene. She like made, she made it look like she was really like involved in the art scene in New York. She bought art from Anne, which meant that she had some money. She was doing everything out in plain sight. She's not hiding. And the big thing to know. Don't forget this was only one or two fakes sold by Nodler a year. People look back at the total number. Say, oh my goodness. They weren't brought up to Nodler in a wheelbarrow. It was a, a kind of a, a trickle over time. So slow and steady was the, the plan here. Right, because you hear $80 million and you think, oh my God, like you think it was in one, like one, again, yeah. like a wheelbarrow. No, this took years and years. She was, a like, wheelbarrow full of trunk Rothko. <laughs> That's what I want. I would buy six of them. No, yes, this came from a wheelbarrow. Well, first it came from the trunk and then in the wheelbarrow and then yeah. I, and now it's on my wall. And then we learned that like Glafira is connected to this guy, Jose, Car- I can't pronounce his name. It's Jose Carlos Beg. Bergantinos Diaz. Wow, good for you. <laughs> it's just like it's spelled. <laughs> but this guy's a total dirtbag, and he's been to prison for trafficking and forgeries in Spain. He's been sued for forging documents. Like, this guy's a total fucking dirtbag. We're going to learn later about him, that he was intimately involved in this, like, forgery scam with Glafira. Yeah. He's trash. Yeah. But then here we are with the National Gallery of Art writing to Anne, saying that they're making their own catalog resume. They say, we've evaluated the works. We intend to include them in the catalog. And then Anne goes to the head person at the Rothko estate to authenticate the trunk Rothko. And they're like, yeah, that looks like a real, that's not even a trunk Rothko. That, that's a real Rothko. That's a real, real Rothko. And so Anne and is super validated by this. And we've talked about this before. We were talking about this off mic before we started. Like, if all of these people are validating, like, forgeries, they become real. You know what I mean? If the National Gallery and the head of the Rothko estate are like, those are real Rothkos, like, for all intents and purposes, like, legally and financially, like, that is a real Rothko. Yeah, and but M.H. Miller from the New York Times says, absolutely not. And how dare you? Because he's like... They wanted so badly to believe that these things were real because it was better for everybody if they were real. And I think that if you really wanted something to be true, you would do your best to ignore any kind of red flags. But, you know, there were a lot of them. He thinks we're all idiots, by the way. He thinks everyone is a fucking dummy. He's like in the chubby gay one. He definitely would have fallen for Gacy. I don't know what he's even doing here. Peasant. And so he he's like, no, they all wanted it to be real. So they said it was real. Everyone wins right. if yes. they're real. That's what's happening here. It's not like the catalog guy really thought. So it's like, oh, it came through like the most prominent gallery in New York. Hell yeah, it's real. That works for yeah. everybody. And this is where, okay, the next section is called the collectors. Oh and I'm just obsessed with this because this is where we talk about like the money which is like and the people that are interviewed here the actual people who bought these paintings talk like they expect us to be sympathetic and like you know I am like I I am sympathetic they live a life I could never possibly understand but like these talking heads are making the point that art is a high-end commodity with a very small audience and I was like oh right like you know when you think about Jackson Pollock or Rothko how many paintings did they each make 80 60 whatever right 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 yeah and it's like how many people in the world can actually afford them you know you gotta be like a Multi multi millionaire. It's like the one percent of the one percent of the one percent. Yeah, super exclusive, super rich, super gatekeepy. I point your attention to the Desolés. Oh my God! So we meet the Desolés. They seem like very nice people, but like they've got this like quote very impressive collection of art, and they were introduced to Anne through a friend. So they go to the Anne's gallery. They're looking for some fancy pants painting. I didn't even write it down. I was like, who? 
Yeah. Their names are Domenico and Eleanor, right? So they're in yeah, Anne's of office. Of course it is. Of and Eleanor is like. These two works of art were unveiled, and one appeared to be um, a Rothko, and one appeared to be a Jackson Pollock. We were like, wow, look at those. Well, it takes your breath away. Oh, oh, honey, don't you just love Rothko? And it's like, it's next to a Jackson Pollock. And they're like, this is the most exclusive. Like, do you know how much money's in this room? Eleanor's loving it. Oh, we're so rich. And so they're blown away. Eleanor goes, one was a Rothko, one was a Pollock. And we were like, whoa. Whoa. And like, you know what? That is really impressive. But like, that's a very, there are a very limited number of people who'd be invited into that room, Eleanor. But you know what I'm, you know what I'm not hearing? is like, that spoke to me. That's really beautiful. They see. See, uh-huh. They see two big names. They see a bunch of status on their wall. At one point, one of our experts is like, you might as well just hang $8 million in your living room. It's the same exact thing. Who has $8.5 million to spend on a painting? This guy works for Sotheby's or whatever. Like, I'm sure you make a lot of money, but what the fuck? $8.3 million for a paint. Like, when you really think about what that could do in the world. Yeah. And it's like, you're just going to, wow. I know, I know, I know. And, the, and every talking head is like, the Desolés fell for this because they wanted to. Like, if you guys, I said this earlier. If you want a Rothko and a Rothko comes to the market, you need to be asking 800 million questions. What is this Rothko doing on the market? How is it that I'm so lucky that I get to be the one to buy it? Like, come on, Mr. Desolet. Ask as many questions as dollars you would you want to spend on this thing. <laughs> 8.5 million questions. And so the Desolets are like, all right, 8 mil, like we're fine with it. Like chump change. But we should probably get something in writing, right? That it's yeah, not that yeah, dick, yeah, yeah. right? So Anne Freeman gives them this document, right? But Eleanor, let me tell you, Eleanor, hates Anne like <laughs> Eleanor wakes up in the middle of the night just going like fucking yes. Anne god damn it she hates Anne she with the fire of a thousand suns she really hates Anne at one point she talks about like the only time I relive the moment and get upset is when I walk down Madison Avenue and see Anne Friedman sitting at a table in a coffee shop like strolling down Madison Avenue, window shopping, dropping another eight mil on a bag or whatever. But Eleanor's sitting there and she goes, oh yeah, you want to know what Anne gave us? Yeah, okay. Anne gave us a multi-page document listing every <clears throat> expert that had seen yeah. the painting and confirmed it was real. And it's like, Eleanor, you can be snarky now, but you bought the goddamn thing. You bought it. And that guy, Jack Flam, who we're going to talk more about, he's like, I was listed as an expert on Desolis painting. That's just how I, it's one of the reasons I got sucked into this. I am not an expert on Rothko. I have no memory of having seen seen that painting. So it is a little bit like there were real things like the National Gallery and also the Rothko estate and also Rothko's wife, literally. But it's like, Anne, why'd you include this guy Jack Flam if it was a lie? Like, you had all these other real things? What? what? And clearly, like, I guess Anne hadn't met Jack Flam anymore because he's not really someone to fuck with because he's relentless. Because he right. he said, he was like, I don't know shit about Rothko. I got sucked into this mess because Anne put me on some document thinking that, like, people are just going to drop eight mil willy nilly. And so he's here to set the record straight that one, he had nothing to do with this. And two, it's all Anne's fault. And I got to tell you, that was the worst mistake Anne ever made because this guy's going to be her undoing. You ne- <laughs> oh, and that and the French guy we meet yeah. a little bit. Oh, <laughs> that French guy sees Anne in his nightmares. So now the next section is called the forger. And they're like, there's no way that they all of these forgeries, because they're Pollocks, they're Rothkos, they're Motherwells. Like, there's, they're all completely different styles. And they're like, there's no way they all could have been done by the same guy. Guess what? Joke's on us. A Chinese math teacher in Queens. We're going to meet him in a minute. His name is Pai Shen Quain. Is that how you say it? No. Uh, it's... Okay. <laughs> How do you say 
Pi, pi Shen is right. Sometimes people say Pay Shen in this, but uh, I googled uh-huh. and it can go either way. So I think it's, but I think it's Pi Shen. How do you say the last name? Chen. Oh, Q I A N. Chen. Chen. Okay, great. So he's an artist, a math teacher, and a forger. And then we learned about this guy when he lived in China. He was this like accomplished painter, and he moved to the U.S. and he couldn't make it in the art world. But he did attend the Art Student League in New York City, which is like has this amazing list of graduates like Pollock and Alexander Calder. Like it's a, a fancy pants art institution. But for whatever reason, he just couldn't break into the art world the way that he had in China. And then we learn that people in China are amazing and amazing, incredible, mind-blowing at copying art. For centuries, they've been doing this. The Chinese have had a tradition for a thousand years or more of correctly copying, being uh, dead accurate, copying being the greatest tribute you could pay to a previous artist and to be a test of your own skill. Not only are they doing art from the 50s, they're doing photos, digital images. Someone is painting something that they, from an iPad. I'm like, what is going on? It's amazing. And like, little would they ever have thought that you could make a living actually making forgeries in the US, but here we are. And this guy was the best at what he did. And that's why he was chosen by Glafira and company. Yeah, Glafira and her boyfriend, Jose Carlos, they picked this guy. He's super versatile. And this guy, Pei he would make the copy, but it wouldn't look authentically old. So they would send it to Juan Carlos, Glafira's boyfriend, and he would do all the finishing touches on the piece to make it look old and like it was actually from the 50s when it was like when it would have been made. Right. And at first they didn't pay Pai Shen much at the, much at the beginning. And this I'm like, is my favorite story in the whole thing. And I'm like, you know what? Pay people for their work, even if it's forgery, because what he's doing is kind of amazing. Pay people for their work. You guys, Pai Shen goes to an art fair where he sees one of his forgeries. He was at the 67th Street Armory Art Fair and saw one of his works in the Nodler Gallery booth. That's the point where he went back to Rosales and said, I need to be paid more money. Bitch, you need to pay me more. And she does. Fuck you, pay me. Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck you, pay me. That's from good. That's from Goodfellas, everybody. Can you imagine you're the only guy in the room who knows that Pollock is a fucking fake? Or you walk into a gallery and you're like, oh my God, that's mine. Oh my God. That's my forgery. Yeah. Also, how could he tell? If no one else in the world could tell, how could he tell? I guess because it's his, you know your own work. That, or he's like, like he's the only one who can recognize that, it, like, what a, the difference between his work and a real Pollock. You know what I mean? And doesn't pay that much attention to detail, which we'll get to. Later, <laughs> with the own yeah. art that's hanging in her living room. Oh my okay? god! And I mean, tell them now. Just tell them now. Anne's a little slow on the uptake because we learn <laughs> that Anne has a quote Pollock in her living room that's signed by quote Pollock, but Pollock is spelled wrong. Spelled Anne? wrong. Anne has such blinders on. Like Anne I needs know. so many things to be true. She's like her, the guy who needed his dad to be the Zodiac. Like that yeah, focus yeah, yeah. on just totally. bullshit. And can you imagine like you're bragging? Oh, this is my Pollock, and it's spelled with like one L. Like what are you doing? But. That's the other thing. How many fucking people must have filtered through her? Somebody noticed. Somebody noticed and didn't say anything because they all needed to be real. Or she was like, well, isn't that great? This is the only one of its kind. He spelled his own name wrong. That makes it worth another 10 mil. I'm in. (laughs) Or whatever. This is where we learn about this guy, Jack Levy. So this guy, Jack Levy, really wanted a Jackson Pollock. Who doesn't, girl? Who doesn't want a trunk Pollock? (laughs) Yeah, he's a super rich (laughs) trunk Pollock. That's my favorite thing now. He's this super rich guy, Goldman Sachs, whatever. So he buys yeah. this Jackson Pollock for $2 million, which is really bottom of the barrel, cheapo Pollock. And I say that with like, you know, that's ridiculous. $2 million. No Come offense, on. Pollock. Yeah, Jesus, exactly. That's cheap. Oh, my God. 
good. But he's super smart, this guy. He's like, I will buy it, but I want it evaluated by an organization called IFAR. The International Foundation for Art Research was founded to deal with the complicated issues of attribution and authenticity. We're one of the only places that even does such a thing. I want to put it in my contract when I buy this thing for $2 million that if IFAR doesn't authenticate this, then I get my money back. So we meet this lady from IFAR and she is fucking amazing. She's like, on the surface, it looked good. But when we put it through its paces, this is what we saw. And we also learned before we dive into this that if people like in the past in the art world, if you have something negative to say about something or if you think something yeah. might not be real, they keep their mouth shut because people have been sued about just saying, yes. I don't think this is real. It's like, wait, this like weird, like vague. Like, like curtain of disbelief that everyone just wants to live behind is bizarre yeah, to me. I know. And it's like forgers have everything going for them because even if people think it's fake, nobody wants to say anything. How many people saw the Miss Pollock in Anne's living room and were like, I'm just going to keep my fucking mouth exactly, shut? Exactly, exactly. So, no, one can, no one wants another Chardonnay in the face from, from Anne. Oh, Anne. She's got her throwing Chardonnay. She's a real, she's not even fun at parties to begin with and this is really going to make her no. a nightmare. So Dr. Sharon from IFAR is just like, we had a three-pronged approach. First, yeah. it was like scholarly research all of that all the paperwork that Anne never has the provenance the provenance the raisonné and so the <laughs> second prong is you know specialists and experts who know the artist all these researchers yeah. and then three materials materially one of the things we noticed there was new paint on old canvas we compared it physically to an actual Pollock painting of the same year and the masonite had aged completely differently. Things are just not matching up. And Dr. Sharon also, when she gives this to this Jack guy saying like, oh, yeah. bad news, Jack. Good news, you get two <laughs> mil back. But bad news, you don't have a trunk Pollock anymore. In that, in her, her, her report or whatever, Dr. Sharon includes 16 pages of documents to prove that this is all bullshit. So this guy, Levy, gets his money back. And it's like, no problem, Mr. Levy, no problem at all. She's like, I would have done that for anybody because she can't have other people going around saying this was a fucking forgery. So she gives him his money back quietly and then puts the painting back on sale for $11 million. Uh, she raised the price and she like never showed him the full report. She's suppressing all the information. She's writing letters about how IFAR is trying to muddy the water. She said she calls Dr. Sharon. She says she's not a 20th century person. Right. And <laughs> so she was quiet about it, but she wasn't at all. She was talking a lot of shit. And because the lady from IFAR was like, mm -hmm. the provenance did didn't make any sense that they can conclusively prove that Pollock was working on other things when they're claiming that he was making this painting. So we know based on the provenance that it, that it wasn't real. So this lady from IFAR is like, I found out that within three weeks, miraculously, the work had a new provenance. How interesting is that? Yeah. And so we're back to the story of Mr. X. He was that Mexican guy. And, you know, he was one of the hermetically sealed paintings, whatever. Yeah. In this version, he's gay. He came to New York City in the 50s and he bought works from a guy named David Herbert, who was also gay. Now, again, there's a grain of truth here because this David Herbert guy, I think this is so fucking I fascinating. Just, oh, my God. This David Herbert guy really did exist. He really was gay. He really was an art dealer in New York in the 1950s. And he represented a lot of those abstract expressionist painters. And so, like, he would have had access to these paintings. And so the, in this version, he's gay, but he still has that wife and family back in Switzerland. So he couldn't bring the artwork home to them because it would like reveal his gay lifestyle. And that's why it was like spirit 
forwarded off secretly to Mexico and no one's ever seen these paintings until now. And I was like, wait a second. Because it's like, oh, Mr. X was gay and in the gay art world. And I'm like, but he they're just paintings. What kind of right. paintings are these? <laughs> you can't show your wife? I would love to see Pollock's like collection of gay paintings. Like, what is he talking about? I thought it was just Pollock. I thought it was Rothko. Right. Now it's like these scandalous gay paintings. Like, let's see those. But again, because this story includes the name of that guy, David Herbert, who was really real, someone says... But you can see how a somewhat gullible uh, and ambitious dealer like Ann Friedman might take a morsel like that. You know, David Herbert did exist. There he was. And swallow all that Lafiro was telling her along with it. You could see how someone as gullible and ambitious as Ann Friedman would fall for this. And also, like, <laughs> David's dead now, so we don't have right. his side of the story. So that also is good for Ann because no one can talk to Dave. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So they cut to Ann, and Ann's like, no, that's not a different story. The story is just evolving, you dummies. <laughs> and I believed every last word of it. And so the story, yes, uh, no, it never changed. It just got more detailed, okay? And I believed it. And oh, my God. At one point, one of our talking heads just goes, ah, and rolls her eyes. I know, I know. <laughs> they hate Anne. I know. So now we learn about this guy, Julian Weissman, and he is another person who's gotten a painting from that Glafira woman. The painting was a Motherwell. So we know we know that that's probably a forgery, right? Right. So Yeah, because it's 2007. It's, quote, recently discovered. So yeah. that guy, Jack Flam from earlier, yeah. on site knows it's a fake. He's like, this is fake. Because he works with this thing called the Daedalus Foundation, which is founded by Motherwell. It was It's the only, like, organization that authenticates Motherwell paintings, and he's, like, a Motherwell expert. So he's like, this shit is not real. Because this painting that this Julian Weissman has, it's called Elegy, and there's more than one of them. And Anne also has an Elegy painting. So Jack Flam knows that the original Elegy is a fake. It comes from Glyphira, the same place Anne got the other Elegy. So Jack goes to Anne. But instead, instead of saying, oh my God, thank you so much, Anne starts <laughs> arguing with yeah. Jack. And she's like constantly resisting facts. And I'm like, wait, what is this? The third person telling her that something is fake? And she just doubles and triples down and she's just arguing and arguing. But to her defense, Anne goes to Motherwell's wife, who he was married to when he would have made this painting. She looked at that elegy and she pointed her finger. Yep, that's Bob. I could not have asked for more affirmation. I couldn't ask for a better authentication. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know that I could authenticate Steve's handwriting. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I could absolutely ask for more, Anne. And you totally. should if you're selling this <laughs> stuff with an 800% markup. And 800% is an exaggeration. That's literally what they were selling. So, Anne, like, be a better art dealer. Like, where are your ethics? Well, and this is what sort of points to the fact that Anne maybe knew that all of these things were forgeries. Because what is happening here is that if she acknowledges that this painting, this elegy that she got from Lafira is a fake, she's going to have to go back and look at all the millions of dollars in paintings she sold that she's gotten from Glafira. So Anne cannot in any way acknowledge that this painting is fake. It's a real headache. It's a lot it's of a paperwork. It's a real headache. But Jack gets the last word because Jack is like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Anne, I see your bullshit and I raise you Jamie Martin, expert in art forensics. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? So Jack Flam is saying, send the mother well to this guy. He'll authenticate it one way or the other. And Anne doesn't want to do it because she's like, I don't trust his methods. She knows it's going to come back a fake. Right. So the gallery sends it to the guy anyway. They get the report back and we're told that... Nodler and Ann Freeman sat on that report, didn't turn it over to us until January of 2009. And when she turned it over, they 
omitted the last four pages, which was the most important pages. They eliminated a lot of so-called confidential information. Like, Anna's doing anything she can to quash the idea that this is a forgery. What on earth could be redacted from an art authentication document? Like, what? It's not, like, CIA-level shit. Like, she's like, uh, because Jack's like, these are the most important pages. And she's like, well, it was all confidential information. Anne, what are you doing? But it's at this point that Jack's fucking had it. And he's like, you know what? At this point, I knew there was a major fraud going on with that gallery and I decided to call the FBI. Anne sees this as a total betrayal of her best friend Jack. It was so warlike behind my back to take me to the FBI. Jack could have had a sit down with me to talk about his concerns about the art. I just wish that everyone came to me and didn't go straight to the FBI. I'm like, and like six people tried to do that. About multiple paintings by multiple artists. And, like, I've never really seen anything like it. This person, like, she has an answer for everything, but the answer is just bullshit. She just will not see. She loves her trunk mother well, and she's convinced it's real. She's got a trunk mother. This is that that whole wall in her living room is the trunk collection. We got a Pollock, we got a Motherwell, we got a Rocco. We got a a trunk Motherwell, a trunk Pollock. Oh, let me get that receipt off there. I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed. (laughs) That shouldn't be up there. Oh, my God. So the FBI immediately investigates Glafira. They learn that she's with that. That guy, Jose Carlos, they know he's a total dirtbag and peddles and forgeries. So they, they are on to her. Jason, the lawyer, is here to be like... Now, you don't know whether she herself has been duped. Well, gallery is important because, you know, they help facilitate the transaction. The part that I'm not sure about is, well, are, are they in on this or were they duped themselves? Steve, Steve, Jason needs help. Who's been duped, Steve? Was it us? Who was it, Steve? I was like, we never hear duped in a documentary anymore. I know. Oh, my God. So, yeah, at this point, they start investigating the Nodler Gallery, and Anne no longer works there. And I'm like, she gives us her sob story of being called into the boss's office and basically being told, like, you got to get out of here. Like, you don't work here anymore. <laughs> because the grand jury is starting. And so they're like, you're put on leave effective immediately. So get out. Right. But... <laughs> They say, like, maybe you'll come back. Maybe you won't. The translation is, let's see what the jury says. Because (laughs) depending on what they say, you might have a job, you might not. You guys, it's fall 2011. We are about to learn about Pierre Lagrange. So this guy, Pierre Lagrange, bought a Pollock from the gallery for $17 million. We see the price Nodler paid for it, $1.9 million. That is criminal. I'm sorry. That That is insane. Yeah. So then we hear, like, Pierre Lagrange. That was the first lawsuit. And that was the first lawsuit. And I'm like, all right, I'm ready. Pass the popcorn. So what happens is this guy, Pierre Lagrange, is getting divorced. Like, because they've got this fucking $17 million painting, they're trying to, like, liquidate it to, like, split for the divorce. And he tries to sell it at auction, but Sotheby's won't sell it because of questions about the provenance. And so he gets an expert to look at it. Pierre Lagrange had gotten a distinguished art expert to uh, analyze the pigment of his painting. And he found that a yellow paint hadn't been available commercially until 1970. So people in the art world know Jackson Pollock died in a car crash in 1956. So he goes to the gallery, and according to Anne, the Nodler Gallery says to this guy who spent $17 million on a painting, they say to him, we don't have to talk to you. The statute of limitations is up. Go away. And Anne says, that's exactly how you talk to somebody if you want them to sue you. Pierre's like, Anne, high noon tomorrow at the Carlisle. (laughs) 
She agrees to meet Pierre for a drink at the Carlisle. I love that Anne's like, it will be in a public place. It's going to be at the Carlisle. But Elaine Stritch was still alive and living there at this point. 100%. So, oh my God, the Carlisle. So, I know, I know. this is also the first time Anne is meeting this Pierre guy in person. She's like, yeah. I knew what he looked from the pictures, Anne. So, Anne knows full well she's caught. She is on yeah. her best behavior. She's yeah. trying super hard to be nice. And Anne is telling us the story. Pierre is not here. I wish he no. was. According to Anne, she's being so nice. And she's like, hi, nice to meet you. And according to Anne, Pierre yeah. is a Disney villain. And he's like, don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. <laughs> and then according to Anne, yeah. this guy Pierre immediately starts screaming at her in the middle of the Carlisle yeah. saying, I am going to set you on fire. Do you understand that? I'm going to set you on fire and you will have no life. And please, there's no way the Carlisle would let this happen for five no, seconds. Absolutely, no, this no. never happened. The story never. I'm sure, maybe under his breath, he said he gave you some words. He did not scream. I will set you on fire in the middle of the fucking Carlisle. And he no. didn't do that. Like it's insane. And. There's some controversy over the language that was used, but essentially she says to him, to get out of fucking trouble, I'm going to find another buyer for the painting. Which is like, Anne. I know. And Because that's acknowledging to him, I'm going to sell a fucking fake painting to somebody else to get your money back, just like I did to you. And Pierre's like, girl, what? I've been duped, Steve. I'm not going to let anyone else be duped. No. You can't just sell this painting when everyone, me, you, and everyone at the Carlisle Elaine Stretch, we all know it's fake. You can't just turn around and sell it. What are you, nuts? You, this is between you, me, and Elaine fucking Stretch. And there's Elaine Stretch with the, with the martini. What? Get these people out of here. It's so loud. This is the Carlisle. It's lunch. I've been living here for 70 years. It's never been so loud in all my time. <laughs> I just love Stretch be Stretchy being like, did you say you were going to set her on fire? Yeah, what? Again, yeah, like for Elaine Stretch to be like, can you keep it down? <laughs> She's never said that in her life. <laughs> Here's to the ladies. Lunch. Lunch. <laughs> oh my god. Oh boy. So in response to this lawsuit from Pierre, the Nodler Gallery closes its doors. Yeah, uh, tell me you're guilty without telling me you're guilty. You just right. closed. <laughs> totally. It's been 125 fucking years they closed after one lawsuit. 165 years! Yeah. They, yeah. The guy almost burned down the Carlisle with Anne in it. They're like, fuck this, we're shutting our doors. Not even a late stretch can save us now. <laughs> Oh my god. Elaine's just trying to put the fire out with her martini. But no, no, Elaine, her- no, 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 God. Precious cargo. Also, it makes it worse. But no. It's December 1st, 2011. The news breaks about the gallery closing. So now everyone knows it's all fake. And we get this montage of like, well, that's a shock. I was shocked by it. Cut to Jack Flam. I was not shocked. I was not shocked. I was, no. I was, I was not shocked. And M.H. Miller, it was a real horror show. Yeah. <laughs> So Anne comes out publicly and she's like, I misled nobody. I believed everything. I believe it then. I believe it now. Just give me a few days and I'll tell everyone the name of Mr. X. Guess what? That day never comes. That day never comes. The FBI arrests Glafira in Long Island and like they just followed the money. They're like, yeah. it went to a Swiss bank account. She should have kept 10% given the rest of the family of Mr. X. That money never goes anywhere. So they know Glafira is Mr. X and that all the paintings are fake. Also, this is like, a, like $80 million worth of money that 
you've made and you haven't paid a dime in taxes, you're going to jail for the rest of your life unless you flip. And she totally flips on everyone and tells the FBI who made the paintings. Right. And so she ends up getting time served, which was a couple months. She walks out. Yeah. 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 Out of prison. And the guy, Pei Shen, the actual painter, he lives in fucking Queens, you guys. Yeah. They go, they probably right down that street from your parents. Yeah. Well, well not anymore because he bailed. No. He went he, right back he, home he, to China. He bails. He flees to China, but they go to his house. They find his, like, his garage full of painting supplies. It's so incriminating. Uh, Jason, the hot lawyer we love, he was like, It surprised me that the paintings were being made in Queens by a math professor. Was I surprised the paintings were made in Queens by a math professor? Yes, yes, I was. Yes, I yeah. most certainly was. He was very organized, however. And then it comes back to Anne, and she gets the call that Glafira confessed that all the paintings were fake. And the only thing Anne has to say for herself is, Awful. 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 All those years of believing. And she says she's got to catch her breath and figure out what she's going to do legally. And there's 10 lawsuits filed against Ann Friedman and the Nodler Gallery. Nine were settled out of court. One went to trial. Any guesses which one went to trial? Because Eleanor Desolet said, fuck this. I want to go to court. I want to see. I want her to say it to my face. If it was Eleanor... DeMonica was like, can we just settle, honey? I'm tired. This, know, these I are know. our twilight years. And Eleanor's like, fuck no. So they go to trial. Say it to my fucking face, Anne. I want to see her. I want to see her. So the trial happens. It's 2016. And like, we get this story that Domenico was viscerally angry. When he would sit with his lawyers, he would constantly gesture back to the audience like, you know, can you believe this shit? And I looked at Ann Friedman the whole time with daggers in my eyes. I was throwing daggers at Ann with my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> like, we get this, this Jeffrey Taylor, the art forensics guy, yeah. says one of these things where I'm like, this is why I hate the art world. Yeah. Because there's this thing about, like, people are debating whether the Rothko, because it's like the two squares, right? Because it's in the room. They have the the art the Rothko that they bought for $8 million. The trunk Rothko. It's fake. Yeah, the trunk I, Rothko. <laughs> We're here in this courtroom because everyone knows it's fake. Remember that. But these people oh cannot help being pretentious that they're like, well, I don't know. I think it would have been that right side up. And this guy, Jeffrey, with no sense of like no awareness, like not even hearing himself. And he goes, but we're debating whether it's right side up or upside down. It was one of those really funny modern art moments where is this painting upside down is this fake painting upside down you know it was just one of those really funny modern art moments you know like is, <laughs> we're just we're sitting there we're like is this painting upside down <laughs> you know we have fun in the modern art world oh it was a real doozy and it just ends like it comes to the day that the the gallery owner and Anne are going to testify and it's like nobody wants that because they'll incriminate themselves criminally so they settle like an hour before Anne is supposed to take the stand <laughs> Anne thinks it's because everyone is too scared of her. And I'm like, Anne, no. <laughs> I know. Your lawyer said it was in your best interest to not yes. testify and settle. Don't go on Netflix now and talk in the third person and say everyone was scared of Anne Friedman. Anne, no. I know. And we learn also in this moment, Anne made $10 million in commissions yeah. over the selling of these paintings. $10 million Anne made. Holy fucking shit. And so here's the thing that I would want to hang up. We see courtroom sketches. They're yeah. all in black and white, except for the Rothko that's in red and I'm like I want that I want the courtroom oh. sketch of in black and white with just the Rothko in color how cool that would that be that is fucking cool that is very right? cool yeah I'll never get
get it, but it would be a cool idea. Yeah. And, I, you know, and it ends. The only person who faces any any jail time is Glyphera, but she gets time served. And, you know, Anne walks out. She's, like, running a gallery somewhere on the Upper East Side now. And you just told me that her gallery is, like, right around the corner from your apartment. Yeah, it's several avenues over. I do not live on Madison Avenue. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, it's in the, I could walk it. I could walk it. But we get, like, a montage of people being asked, would you buy art from Anne? And everyone's like... <laughs> No. no, 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 no. Are we done here? I have. Uh... And would I buy art from Anne Friedman? No, 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 no. I no. won't. No, not to- not today, not ever. But they would buy from the actual forger, which is the same thing I in know. a sense. <laughs> Oh my God, you guys, we did made you look. I love it so much. Why do I love it so much, GP? Because it's not murder. It's a nice uh-huh. break for us at the very least. It's a nice uh-huh. break from murder. And because it's like, I wish I had the time to care about that kind of thing. But $8 million on a Pollock. Unbelievable. I know. Wow. You guys, don't forget, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 250 full ad-free bonus episodes. I promise you're going to laugh your little bums off. Ooh, we have yeah. fun over there on the Patreon, don't you think, girl? I think we have a great... Well, we're about to record an episode now, and boy, I yeah. have stuff to say. Oh this is God. Sophie Westcourt. Yeah, know. so we have a good wait. time. Um, and that's it, you guys, girl. What are we doing next? We're doing a fatal confession. Keith Morrison investigates. Oh, a fatal confession. Keith Morrison, you know we love her. You know, he's investigating. It's a fatal, <laughs> it's a fatal confession. He's investigating it. I don't know what else to tell you. Okay, well, I'll tell you all about it next week. Oh my god, all right. So stay tuned for the trailer for Fatal Confession, our hilarious outtakes. That's it. We love you. That's it. That's we all I got to you. say this week. And ask questions if you're yeah. spending eight million dollars. Ask okay, ask a couple of questions. That's all I got to say. My love for the listeners is real. It's not a forgery. Oh, (laughs) that's very sweet. I agree. We love you guys. Bye. Bye. A once convicted murderer who claims he was forced to confess to a crime he didn't commit will go before a jury again. Villegas was only 16 years old when he confessed to killing two teenagers in a 1993 drive-by shooting in Northeast El Paso. Time passes. Days once infuriating slow are rushing now. Judgment coming. Almost here. Did he tell you how he did it? He said he confronted on walking out and blasting him with a shotgun. Villegas has always maintained he was coerced to confess to the murders. My son didn't do it. And now the question will finally be answered. Was he lying when he said he did? Or lying when he said he didn't? It's a confession. I confessed. Exactly right. Why would you say I did it if he didn't do it? No one truly believes that somebody would confess to something they didn't do. The confessed murderer was put away for life. Done. Finished. And then a total stranger came along. I'm like, my God, how did they convict this kid? He financed a lengthy and costly battle. Spent $80,000 of his own money. The more he dug in, the more he became almost his own P.I. What fate awaits Daniel Villegas? Daniel's been waiting more than 25 years for justice. Try not to keep him waiting any longer. I'm ready. I'm ready to go ahead and go in here and let's get this over. If the defendant will please stand. a documentary where everyone except for one person hates that one person. Like, it it's really so is obvious incredible. that they all hit their eye rolling and going, ah, and like throwing their head back. They're doing air quotes. They're like winking. They call her stupid more than once. Like, have we ever done the this? The one guy gives her the finger? Are you kidding me? Not even with Gacy. There I were know. people who liked John Wayne Gacy more than people like Anne. <laughs> 
what's going on? I know, oh. I know, it's true. Because they say like the like they bought that painting for $8.5 million. They don't tell us what the gallery offered to settle, but they do describe it as absurd. Which is like, well, I think paying $8 million for a painting is absurd. So yeah, I guess we're yeah, all yeah. making accusations, Eleanor. And they can't find it, but they keep barging in on people's homes. They're just like knocking on doors in China. They are. And everyone's like making dinner. It's very weird. They went at like five o'clock and nobody knows where this guy is. But then they find him. They're, they just yeah. knock on the right door. His wife answers and she's like, how'd you find this address? Who are you? And we meet Jason Hernandez, who's the former U.S. attorney. Are you in love with him? He's really hot. I knew like, you'd He's love him. really, really sexy. And he's on the right side of history here. I really like this guy. Mm -hmm. Those don't usually coincide in these documentaries. It's nice when they finally do, right? For once. And also the amount of times I have, and please, in my notes, just like, if it were a drinking game, we'd be hammered. I should.